Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I want to thank you again for being with us today here at Finding Life Church. My name's Mallory. Um, as usual, when I get to teach, I am humbled to, to get to stand up here and share with you what God is teaching me, what he's doing in my own heart. So I don't take it lightly that I get to have the next 30 minutes of your attention. So thanks for being here. Um, kind of leading up to this, I've, I've really been praying that God would teach you with what I have to say, like beyond my own knowledge of this, because I know he's able, able to do that. Um, and I'm still learning, so there's so much more for all of us to learn in this. So pray with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for that again this morning. God, we worship you because you have all knowledge. You are God of everything. Um, you know exactly where each one of us is this morning. Um, and you are able to and willing to meet us right there. God, I surrender just the, the time, effort that I have put into this, and I ask that you use it however you want to. Um, I surrender my own humanity in this and my own um, insecurities and my own pride and all of that. God, I know that you have something for us this morning, and so I surrender to that. God, would you make us courageous to act on what you call us to? Amen. That's my son. Um, <laughs> He had a little bit of a fever this morning, so I didn't want to subject the other kids in kids' life to that. And my, his grandparents are here, so um, they can try and manage him, wrangle him this morning. <laughs> oh, and well, and Daddy's back there, too. Yeah. Anyway, um, so this morning, we are continuing in our study of um, learning who Jesus is through the eyes of Luke, and we are in Luke chapter 10. Um, this morning, though, we're going to turn our focus a little more inward. We've been learning about who Jesus is um, a lot through chapters 4 through 8. Um, and then in Luke 9, described the sending of the apostles. Um, and, and Luke 9 told us, too, that if we choose, if we make that decision to um, become a disciple, that we profess Christ as our Savior, um, to become a lifelong learner of Jesus, to pursue him with everything that we have, um, that discipleship then is not an option for ourselves, like I said, to continue learning Jesus forever, um, but then also to share. Um, yeah, Luke 10 brings in that, that challenge and that command from Christ to go, to, to share, and to invite other people into discipleship of Jesus. So I'm going to read um, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, just to kind of give a picture of where we're going with this. Um, so follow along in your Bible um, or on your phone if you've got that. If you've got that. Everybody has a phone. Um, okay, I'm just going to read. After this, the Lord appointed 72, 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So I said, my parents are here this weekend. Hey, mom and dad. Okay. <laughs> um, they got here on Friday and are heading out this afternoon. Um, I love it when they come to town. And overall, I love to, to host people, but it feels kind of extra special when people stay the night. Hey, Mook. She spent the night a couple weeks ago. Um, I just love to try and make people feel welcome, to, to get the coffee ready before they wake up, to make their room extra special, um, you know, just to make them feel at home too. So we had some friends from Kearney come to town to celebrate their son's birthday, um, I don't know, October or so. And this particular visit that I was preparing for, I got like super anxious about my house needs to be absolutely spotless because I just assumed that this friend of mine keeps her house absolutely spotless and I wanted to impress her. Um, but this girl is someone I lived with in college, so it's not like she doesn't know like my baseline mess. You know what that is, right? Everybody has like a baseline mess. Um, so, my point in telling you that is sometimes when I'm hosting people, you know, my intentions are, are good, but the, the focus shifts to myself. So the end of Luke, um, Luke 10, you'll find a pretty well-known story about Mary and Martha, and I um, am glad to know that that prideful feeling didn't just start with me, that it's been something that humanity has struggled with for a long time. Maybe some of you can relate to that. It's silly. I feel like it's so silly for me to have had that feeling about her specifically to keep my house clean. Um, because she knows the struggle. She has two little boys herself. So, um, but, but when somebody stays with you, of course they see the everyday little stuff. Um, but I don't necessarily want my guests to know all of those things. Um, like sometimes I, I leave the dirty dishes in the sink for like three days. And even telling you that, I feel like I have to say that's a really rare thing that happens in our house. So don't judge me, please. <laughs> And, and Alex does the dishes most nights, actually, so thanks for that, babe. Um, otherwise, it might not get done. Um, I don't want my guests to know that usually after bath, bath time, um, Ben's dirty clothes just sit on the floor until the next morning or next night, because um, it's just just a little thing you don't want people to see. When we have people stay over um, and we're hanging out close to bedtime, I put my nicer sweatpants on, you know, and the t-shirt that doesn't have the bleach spots or the snot stains or whatever. Ben's snot, not mine. <laughs> but you know what I mean. We keep those kind of things private. Um, those are the visits when you're, you're on, like the whole time, and you're intentional about mo making the most of your time together. You, you guys get where I'm going with this, right? Yeah, okay. Um, but eventually, if somebody stays long enough, this starts to shift, um, and maybe, maybe people start to feel a little more like family. I'm thinking like six months or a year. Have you ever had a guest for that long in your house? Alex and I have only ever, ever had one long, really long-term guest in our home, um, and we got to know each other a little bit before he came. Maybe me a little bit better than him because I, I had the opportunity to talk to him more often, um, and we like rearranged our house for this guest. We even went out and bought him a new bed because we knew he would be staying for a while and we really wanted to make him feel welcome. Um, it definitely did take some adjusting when he moved in, um, getting to know each other, but we knew he wasn't leaving anytime soon, so 
that made it easier to get to know each other faster and on, on a whole different level. And at this point, though, we don't really do anything special to impress him, like make our bed every morning or have three-course dinner every night or pick up his toys every night before he goes to bed. I'm talking about our son. Um, you didn't get that? Sorry, I should have led with that. Um, but my point is, like I said, a long-term guest starts to feel like family. You let your guard down a little bit more. You relax. Um, you grow together in those hard things. That's when you really create those unique bonds of family. Um, not to say that I don't relax when my mom and dad are here. Um, I don't try to impress them with my clean house anymore. But um, actually, we did have a stranger come and live with us once, about this time last year. Some of you probably met her. Her name is Anna. Um, she lived in Omaha for about four months. Anyway, we met through a mutual friend. Um, and Anna was moving to Omaha with not much direction or permanency other than she just felt like God wanted her here. So our mutual friend texted me and, and asked what we would think about hosting her in our home for 10 days because she was going to get here and look for roommates. Um, she had a job lined up, I think. So, And we have a spare bedroom and a second bathroom. So Alex and I talked about it. And we both felt good about, yeah, 10 days is not super long. And, and we trust this mutual friend. So we said, yeah, that'd be, that'd be good. And I texted with Anna a little bit in the weeks leading up to her getting here. Um, but we didn't really know each other, like, at all. I'd never met her before. We didn't follow each other on Instagram yet, you know, where you really get to know people. Um, but it is my favorite. Um, so I told my, my social worker co-workers about this, and they thought I was nuts. They're like, your son is four and a half months old. You're not doing a background check on this girl? I'm like, no. They're like, you're not going to charge her rent? No, it's 10 days. And then when I told them we were going to invite her to eat dinner with us every night, they like fell out of their chairs. What are you talking about? How could you do this? This is a stranger. But we saw it as an opportunity. Alex and I both feel strongly that since we have the resources to have someone in our home, that we should share it. So Anna came, and she moved in, and 10 days came and went, and she was still with us and didn't find a roommate yet. Um, but it was fine. I mean, it was awkward sometimes having a stranger live in your home, but um, it was also a super cool experience for our family. We had the chance to get to know each other in such a different way than anyone in our lives ever, probably. Before she moved away, Anna asked if I would disciple her. And I had never, I'd never been asked that question before, but I feel like it's one of those questions in life that you just don't say no to. Um, I imagine it's like being asked if you want to go on a free vacation. Always yes. Or if the Stewart kids ask you to buy butter braids. Yes, always yes. <laughs> Bethany told Eli once, or, or maybe it was Ezra, she said, so I know you have to sell all these today, but go talk to Mallory first because she's, what was her comment? She's easy or something. She's, she's, a, she's a pushover. Just go talk to Mallory. <laughs> like, oh, okay, thanks, Bethany. She's not even in here. I love Bethany. You can tell her that. <laughs> she knows. But always, yes. Always, yes. Butter braids. Yeah. I didn't think, I didn't think about my response, really, um, when Anna asked me that. And as my understanding of discipleship becomes more clear, I know that God was already using me for that purpose in her life without me or her giving it some official title. I didn't get up 
like super early or stay up super late and read my Bible by candlelight at the dinner table. And I didn't like sing hymns to Benjamin at night. We sing Fresh Prince to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air to Benjamin. <laughs> um, I didn't pray out loud with Ben every time before we left the house. I didn't go out of my way to do things that weren't me to try and disciple her. We just did normal life, and we asked her in. Um, Steak Tuesday had just been established in my house, and you can ask Alex about that. He claims that it's just as, like it rolls off the tongue just like Taco Tuesday, but I don't believe him. I'll eat it, that's fine, but anyway. Um, but we made sure that, we knew, that she knew that she was welcome to eat with us, to watch TV with us, whatever. On the first night that she got here, I was in the middle of giving Benjamin a, a bath in the sink, and so she just pulls up a stool, and I finished giving him a bath, and we just talked, and it was awkward, but it was fine. Um, we spent a couple of snow days together. We watched Pocahontas together. That was Alex's choice. He already walked out. I was going to embarrass him. Um, we watched The Office together. Like, like just we just did life. Um, and then she, she formally asked me to disciple her, and I think it's because I was open. Like when she would ask those hard questions, I didn't say, I'd really not, like to not talk about this, or I don't know you that well. I was just open with her. God kind of created that comfortable situation where she felt like she could ask, and so I answered. We prayed together, and God grew us both. This is the kind of relationship that I think that God is talking about, that Jesus was talking about in Luke 10. I believe in those verses, God is asking us to do more of that. And he'll use us in those relationships to grow his kingdom. So let's jump back into that. Verse 1 of chapter 10 starts with, after this. So let's get into that context a little bit more. Luke 9 ends with a section that my Bible calls the cost of discipleship. Or no, the cost of following Jesus which is discipleship, and it's not an option. It's not an option is what we learned last week, and it is a choice that requires us to reorder the rest of our priorities in life. The examples in verses 59 through 62 seem extreme. Remember, he's asking, somebody asked, well, I have to go bury my father, and Jesus says no. And someone says, let me go say goodbye to my loved ones, and Jesus says no, follow me. And he's not saying those things aren't important, but Jesus is saying that discipleship is an all-in, life-altering commitment. That it requires we put Jesus before our wants, our needs, our families, our spouse, our children, our checking and savings accounts, our relaxation time, our dreams, our goals, our health, all of that. None of it is important or as important as the great I am is pursuing him with your whole life. So I'm praying for my own heart that I would continue to know, continue to grow in the knowledge of the cost of following Jesus, of being his disciple, and the matchless benefits of being his disciple. I'm praying that for you too, by the way. So after this, <clears throat> Jesus gave the people who choose discipleship some instructions. So if your head didn't already explode last week after hearing that one, um, today, we're going to explore our calling to then create more disciples, to create disciples. A fear that I have, that maybe you can relate to, is not being capable, not being smart enough, not being um, 
eloquent enough to share, not being up to the task that God has given me or that he will give me as he calls me into creating disciples. He has already called me into creating disciples. But God dispels that fear even in the first few verses of, of that section that I read from Luke 10. He says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So God sent the 72 in pairs, two by two. You caught that, right? I don't have to do this alone. I think a lot of times we make it feel like this thing where I have to invite this girl out to coffee and she and I are going to sit across and have a conversation about Jesus. But I don't have to do it alone. God tells me he sent his apostles two by two um, and God is with me, right? Um, God did not intend for you and I to do discipleship alone, to create discipleship, uh, create disciples alone. While, while I was discipling Anna, it's not like Alex and Benjamin moved out of the house, right? Our family was discipling her. And Alex is my greatest partner in discipleship, um, maybe mostly because of proximity. But we agree wholeheartedly that the number one reason we even got married was because we are so sure that God wants to use us together for greater impact for the kingdom than he would um, individually. All of us know, as Christ followers, the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, and he never leaves us. But the Bible also says in Matthew that where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. So he, he puts that fear of mine to rest, that I have to go in and do this and be smart enough and no, we get to do this together. And it also said God sent the 72 ahead of himself because God is coming. God will follow. He's the only one who can change hearts, right? We know that. And it's not my responsibility or my burden to save people. My task is pray, go, share. Whoever's on the other end of that is responsible for their own response. And notice my first task was pray, prayer. Luke 10.2 has been a verse that I've prayed almost every day since the end of September last year. Maybe some of you have joined me in that. Um, I'm just going to read it. Oh, it's on here. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Then, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do you guys still have this card, some of you? Maybe? Um, it's the card that, that Kevin shared with us um, when he joined us at the end of September and challenged us all to pray Luke 10-2 every day, to pray for um, laborers, to pray for the harvest. So I set an alarm on my, um, my watch to pray with all of you every morning. And of course, there are mornings when, you know, I'm changing a poopy diaper, so I just turn it off and I forget to pray. But um, when I do think about this, God has brought a lot of different things to my mind, specifically concerning this verse. Like, what's, what's my role? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What's my, my role? At one point, I was part of the harvest, but now I'm a laborer. But what's the harvest? Like, like all of humanity, for sure, people who don't know Jesus. And the laborers then maybe are people, not maybe, the laborers are anyone who has said yes to Jesus, you, me. It says, pray earnestly. That God is the Lord of the harvest. He's in control of it. He wants me to pray, and he wants to send laborers. It's not my responsibility to change people's hearts. 
He doesn't need me, but he invites me to participate in that way. So let me read to you um, a commentary that's pretty helpful in, in understanding this. Jesus shows the disciples that they are to ask God for aid and to rely on his sovereign provision. Laborers are not to be coerced into the kingdom. The message is set out for people and their response must be given freely. That's from Luke, 5, uh, Luke 10, 5 and 6. That is behind the scenes and alongside the proclamation, the disciples are to beseech God for more laborers. The emphasis on God's sovereignty is seen in Jesus' use of the title, Lord of the Harvest. The message's expansion is in God's control, whether it's accepted or not. He is the one who will thrust out laborers. So part of what we're instructed to do is pray and trust. So point one, if you guys are taking notes on the back of your worship flyer, is prayer is required. Prayer is effective. It is important. And the next thing I want you to hear is that God has given us everything that we need. We know from verse 1 we can depend on each other. Like I said, we're not in discipleship alone. Uh, but let's continue in verse 3. Go on your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Um, that part isn't as exciting, right? You are lambs... We are lambs in the midst of wolves. We will be attacked. I'm really glad that God warns us about this part, though, um, because we shouldn't be surprised when that happens. We can expect that Satan will use any way he can to stop us from sharing God's message. He's crafty and he's sneaky, so these attacks will come in all different shapes, sizes, flavors, everything. Everything he can, he will try to use, and I'm sure that the insecurities I felt, even in preparing for today, were attacks from Satan. Um, I mentioned that Ben has a little fever. I'm sure that my own distraction for his health this weekend was an attack from Satan. Some of you know that we were in the hospital recently um, for Alex's health. He's fine. <clears throat> but I am so sure that Satan is trying to throw my family off that he knows something's going on here, guys. And God is our good shepherd. <clears throat> Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor present Things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor that, all that, I mean, everything we just sang, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <laughs> Maybe we're lambs among wolves, but that cannot separate us from the love of God, from the perfect, healing, protecting love of God. He will never leave us, and he has given us everything we need in this command to create disciples. Jesus instructed the 72 to take nothing extra because they already have everything that they need. We have all that we need. I don't need to seek out a class on becoming a disciple or do a certain Bible study to prepare myself. I just need to respond, to be obedient, to share, to be open. God has equipped me and will continue to equip me 
He'll continue to grow me as I seek him. So we can participate by just inviting people into that, inviting people into that everyday stuff. After the, the if gathering, I got some emails about discipleship. Did some of you guys, some of you ladies get that? Not guys, because it was ladies only, you remember? I made a big deal about that. Yeah, um, it was a five-day guidebook to discipleship, and I'm not saying that's not helpful, um, because I feel like God is using that to grow me, but I didn't need that before I was capable through Christ to disciple Anna. But there was a cool little um, a thing in there I'm going to read to you from day five. It said, Jesus was all about proximity. He knew that proximity fosters relationship, and relationships bring opportunities for ministry, and ministry builds faith, and faith changes the world. Leaving everyone at arm's length offers little opportunity for ministry. Bringing people in to equip them and unleash them is how little by little God's kingdom expands. The last takeaway from this passage is crucial because this message that we're sharing is life-changing. It's Luke 9 for everybody, right? For a person to decide themselves to become a disciple has eternal impact. Let me read the rest of that passage again. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. There is incredible urgency in this message. That's the third point for you guys. We have, we have a responsibility to share, to share God, and God will take care of the rest. We cannot ignore it. If you don't know, Sodom was a city full of wicked people. Not a single righteous person was found in Sodom before God destroyed the city with sulfur and fire from heaven in Genesis 18. And this verse says, for those who hear the good news of God and reject him, that their punishment will be worse than sulfur and fire from heaven. This is urgent. People's lives and souls and eternity are at stake. It's crucial that we pro proclaim Jesus with all that we are, all that we have, every action, every word, because the only acceptable payment for anyone's sin is Christ's blood, and we know it. God will draw people to himself. We must pray. We must share. We must prioritize our own growth and let people in so that he might teach people through us. Here's another, another little excerpt from that commentary. The disciples' message is vital, for everything is at stake in the response. There is an excitement about what happens on this mission. The disciples are thrilled that demons are subject to them. In fact, such power pictures Satan's fall and the presence of the initial fulfillment of the kingdom. But power is not the most important thing in God's plan. A greater cause of joy is the disciples' secure position before God. Mission involves trust, responsibility, authority, rejection, 
but above all, privilege. To see the blessing of mission is why Luke narrates the story of the 72. The sense of privilege is, it, is to inspire disciples to continue the task. That's you and me. Whatever their success, they need to understand that God is behind their cause. And that knowledge is real joy. You guys remember back with me to Luke 5, when Simon Peter realized the power of Jesus and his boat almost sank from the weight of all the fish that they pulled in. Do you remember his reaction? He said in verse 8, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But he didn't stay there. He didn't let his brokenness stop him or be his focus at all, remember? He left all he had and all he knew, and he followed Jesus. Let us pray for that posture ourselves, knowing that we are not the component that causes change, but the conduit. Let us remember that God is behind us, goes before us, and no matter the outcome of the relationship of the, of the people that we are calling into discipleship, that God is calling into discipleship, that nothing can separate us from God's love. And our salvation is secure in Christ. Let's share that hope. I can't wait to see how, what that does to our community, to our church, to our family when we respond. Alex and I are planning to host somebody else. Um, or I'm not having a baby yet, I don't know. Um, that's not what I mean. I'm, we're, we're inviting another stranger to live with us. <laughs> Jeez, I wasn't going to say that anyway. So um, a mutual friend has connected us to someone again, and, and we're going to host this girl at the end of the summer for 10 weeks while she's here um, for an internship. And in my line of work, I work with young adults who've had um, really rough past. I discourage my clients to let friends live with them, let alone the friend of a friend. And just last week, one of my colleagues said, it's the friend of a friend who steals all your stuff. Um, and that's usually true. Um, so I would probably tell the young people that I work with, you don't really know that person. You don't really know how long they're going to stay. It might be 10 weeks. It might be six months. You've worked really hard for this, this, your own apartment or whatever. You've worked hard for this place of solitude, and now you're going to invite somebody else into that. You should probably talk to them about helping you pay rent and utilities and groceries. Um, but I'm not going to do that. The circumstances are different, yes. Um, I could come up with plenty of other reasons, though, that we shouldn't have this stranger live in our home. But those things aren't as important. My, my task... My family's task, hey Ben, um, is to pray, is to pray and, and prioritize my own discipleship, my being a disciple of Jesus, to pray and to trust that God will do what he wants and he will draw this girl to himself. He will make himself known. Um, so I'm going to continue to pray for you guys as well, that, that God will continue to show us the cost of discipleship, the matchless benefits of discipleship, but it's not me, because God wants to do that in, in people's lives who, who I'm interacting with as well. So let's pray together, and we'll, we'll sing one more song. God, you are so good. You know everything. 
I'm so thankful that you are with me. That these people, these family members, these friends are with me. That none of us has to do discipleship alone. That you have given us everything that we need. And because we have everything we need already, God, we can take that urgent message to everyone. God, give us boldness, bravery. I trust that you are and that you will. We love you. Amen.